Good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning. Glad that we can be here together. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time uh, out of the beginning of your week to start here with us and uh, worshiping God. It's our opinion you couldn't be at a better place uh, than somewhere worshiping God this morning. And we are thankful that you've taken the time to be here with us at, at JA. If you haven't already, go ahead and fill out one of the visitor's cards. That's the blue cards on the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, also, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. That's where we will be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's some black books also on the back of the pew in front of you. And Psalm 23 starts on page 458. So if you want to turn there, uh, we would certainly encourage you to do so as we look at probably one of the most uh, familiar passages in all the Bible. You've probably been to uh, some sort of church service where Psalm 23 has been talked about or quoted. Uh, If you've been to a funeral, you've probably uh, had this uh, read to you either during the service or certainly uh, it's probably, uh, and for me too, uh, one of the most uh, frequently used passages at a graveside. Uh, As we are lowering a body into the grave or shortly before that, Psalm 23 is often read. It's a familiar passage to us and we want to think about it this morning and and think about uh, what does this familiar passage mean to us and really try and think about a little bit of the the theology that is uh, taught here. What What do we learn about God? And our relationship with him from Psalm 23. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about what God wants us to do and how we ought to live this life? So Psalm 23 is where we'll be this morning. Again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, JA family, church family, I love you guys. Glad that we can uh, be here together today. Always good for us to be with one another. Uh, Psalm 23, it starts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, we stop there, and there's a lot just packed into that passage. One thing that I, I learned from a, an older preacher at the, my, the last congregation that I was working at is he said, when you read Psalm 23, don't focus as much on the Lord as you focus on yourself. And that sounds a little selfish, and maybe, maybe it is, but I think it, the, the comfort that comes from it when you think about the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean to us? What do we understand about that? And really, the rest of the passage is important. The other five verses are important, certainly. Uh, But if we don't get that first part right, then the other five verses don't apply to us. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a beautiful picture that that we probably don't appreciate as much uh, because of the the, the culture that we live in. Most of us, even though there are some folks here that are farmers, I don't know if there's any shepherds here specifically. We have some ranchers, some some folks who take care of cattle. Uh, But the, the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep was an intimate one. Uh, The shepherd would be the one who was always there. In the morning, the shepherd was there. In the evening, the shepherd was there. When the sheep was born, the shepherd was there. When the sheep was injured, the shepherd was there. When the sheep died, the shepherd was there. The shepherd was always there. And the shepherd was the one who would lead the sheep to food and to water, to drink. They depended on the shepherd for survival. And you can imagine as a shepherd the the care and the concern and the energy and the effort that you would put into these sheep, the relationship that you would have with them. So when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, that tells me something about God. He was there when I was born. He'll be there when I die. He's there when I'm injured. He's there when I'm sick. He's there all the time. And I have to learn to rely upon him the same way that a sheep relies upon its shepherd. I am the sheep of my shepherd, the Lord. 
In John chapter 10, Jesus himself describes himself as the good shepherd. And he says that that his sheep know his voice. They know him. They have a relationship with him, that he cares for them. Uh, he, He says that he came to offer them not just life, but an abundant life, a blessed life, a life where they would have everything that they need and perhaps even more. And he says that he would lay down his life for his sheep. Of course, uh, telling us about what he would do upon the cross, but also telling us about this relationship again that sheep and shepherd would have together. In John chapter 10, he talks about how uh, that I'm the good shepherd and he compares himself with the hired hand. Of course, you think about a large flock of sheep, you would need more than just one person keeping an eye on all the sheep. So what they would do during that time, and even today, you would have someone who would own the sheep and they would be that shepherd's sheep, but he would also need some help. So he might hire some other folks to come and help them. And the the distinction that Jesus makes between them, isn't that the hired hands don't lead them to to green pastures? Isn't that the, the hired hands don't lead them to quiet waters? or help them when they're injured, or that sort of thing. But whenever there is danger present, whenever their life might be on the line, Jesus, the good shepherd, says, I'll give my life for you, because you're my sheep. But the hired hands, they run, they flee, they get out of town when things get difficult. You know, there are all kinds of things that we can rely upon in this life. There are all kinds of people that we can rely upon in this life. But most of those things... When things get difficult, most of those things will flee. They'll leave us behind. But Jesus says, I'm here, and I want to be here with you. Jesus is this good shepherd, and again, we must depend on him. In John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, Jesus has been teaching the crowds again, as he often did, and he's teaching some some difficult things, some things that the crowds find to be hard maybe to understand, or maybe they do understand it and they find it hard to implement And because of that, a large group of his disciples, not just a large group of this this crowd that's there worshiping with him, but a large group of people who have been following him, his disciples, they leave him. And Jesus comes to the 12 and he asks this question and and I read into it and maybe it's not this way, but I read some emotion into this. Will will you leave also? I think Jesus is disturbed and, and, and bothered by the fact that he's taught the truth. He's taught what the people needed to hear and a large portion of them leave and that's they're not willing to to submit themselves to what jesus has to say and peter says lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have come to know and believe that you are the christ unlike those who left even when it was difficult and no doubt it was difficult for the the apostles who heard it no doubt it was difficult for peter who heard it and maybe he didn't fully understand what jesus was talking about in that passage but He knew there was nowhere else that he could go. We need to learn to depend on him and trust that he'll supply our needs. I love the the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 12 and 13. We know Philippians 4, 13, but if we read the verse beforehand, it helps set the stage a little bit better and help us to understand it. He says, as as an apostle, a follower of Jesus, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think that passage is really foundational for what we're the main point of what we're going to talk about this morning. Paul, the the apostle of of Jesus Christ, he says, listen, I've, I've been in a place where God has provided for me an abundance. And I've learned how to deal with that and still follow Jesus. And Paul the Apostle says, I've been in a place where I haven't had anything. 
I've suffered loss of everything, physically and emotionally and even struggling spiritually, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7. But I've learned how to be there and to not turn away from God and still to rely upon Him. Today, that, that's you. You're in one of those two places or somewhere in between. Either this morning, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, you are blessed abundantly. You're in those green pastures this morning. Or, this morning, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, you're not in green pastures. You're in the wilderness. You're in a place where there's not much sustenance and you maybe are tempted to feel like God isn't providing. We've got to understand how can I worship and love and follow my shepherd, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ, in both of those places and anywhere in between. And understand the fact that God has not promised that we won't be in both of those places even as we follow him. Let's go on and see what the rest of the verse says. So God provides, but what does this provision look like? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Let's quickly, because this won't be the main thing that we'll talk about this morning, but he leads me to, to quiet waters. You, you probably know that, that sheep won't drink from water that is, is rushing, certainly, and won't really drink from much water that's moving much at all. It has to be fairly quiet and fairly even, and they're, they're very skittish animals. And because of this, they, they, they would literally perhaps die from thirst before they would drink from rushing water. What does that tell us about our relationship with God? Well, the sheep won't drink from it because of fear. And sometimes we won't follow Jesus. We won't listen to the word. We're we're unwilling to submit ourselves to him for fear. But instead, Jesus provides us with security. He leads us to the places that we need to go. It doesn't mean that we won't go through difficult spots. Again, we'll talk more about that later. But he leads us to those places Perhaps in our soul, he restores our soul. He restores our most inner being and he helps us to feel safe and secure. But what about these green pastures? What do you picture when you see these green pastures, when you read these green pastures? I I love this picture because that sheep is pretty cute, right? And he's laying down in in a green pasture. That's probably, throughout my life, And maybe in your life, when I've read Psalm 23, he leads me or he takes me to these green pastures. That's pretty much what I've pictured. He he leads me to these places. And this is, in generally, the the description that's used, the word that's used here in, excuse me, Psalm 23. It talks about new grass or, or, or young grass, tender grass. It would be a picture kind of like this. And this is where God leads us sometimes. He leads us to places like this. You, you have been there. Think about times in your life, maybe it's even right now, where in, in every part of your life you're just abundantly blessed. And you've gotten all the things that you, you need, certainly, and probably got even more things that you want. We picture this large, fluffy field of grass where there's an endless supply of food and it's near quiet waters. And what will we do? What would we do if we were a sheep? What are we tempted to do if even as Christians, even as as humans, when we have all of our needs met, what do you want to do? Do you want to leave that place? You don't want to leave that place. You want to do like that sheep's doing. Lay down and get comfy and and just just hang out. But there's another Hebrew word for pastor or pasture, and it's midbar. It's more, more often 
translated as wilderness. It's what we would think about when we think about the Israelites in the wilderness wandering. In Psalm 63, you can turn there if you want to, but I'm just going to reference the first verse. Psalm 63, Psalm 23, of course, is a Psalm of David. That's important because David was a shepherd. So he knows about the relationship between uh, a shepherd and his sheep. When he says the Lord is my shepherd, he knew exactly what that meant. He knew exactly how much he needed him to, to shepherd him throughout this life. Psalm 63 is also a Psalm of David, but it's not when he's in the green pastures. It's when he's in the midbar, the midbar. He's in the wilderness of Judah. And he says this in Psalm 63 and verse one, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, this morning, some of us may be in the, the nice, fluffy fields of, of green grass, but some of us, circumstances, situations, sin, our fault, others' faults, circumstance and, and happenstance, some of us are in the midbar. And this would be, this picture that you see before you, would be something of what the midbar, the wilderness, would look like. This again is the, it's the land between Egypt and Israel. It's the land of the wilderness wandering. It's the land where David shepherded his father's flocks before he would go and slay Goliath. It's where John the Baptist would preach and where Jesus was tempted. And it doesn't look like it, but according to first century Palestinian standards, this was a pasture that was good for feeding sheep. And you say, how in the world could that be a place where shepherds would guide their sheep? There doesn't seem to be anything there. Well, practically, the places of, of fertile land would be where they would grow crops. So farmers would be growing crops on the very fertile land. So they would not want the sheep in there, of course, because they would be eating the crops. So they, shepherds would be forced to, to go into, to live in places and to take their sheep uh, two places like this. And I don't think you can see it, but actually in this picture, uh, on, on the, one of those mountainsides, there is a flock of sheep. That is where they would live. And there's one that looks, looks a little bit better, but it doesn't look much better, does it? There's some, there's some grass there, but it's not the, the large fluffy field of green grass that we might often sometimes think about. How in the world could this place be a good place for sheep or for cattle? There was not of course, much rain in these areas. But there was a good amount of moisture. Even, even today, this is still the case. These are, of course, modern pictures, not pictures from the first century. There's a good amount of moisture uh, that comes during the evenings off of the Mediterranean Sea in the breeze. And that moisture would settle on the rocks that cover the land and the drops of, of water that would settle on those rocks would then drop down into the ground and it would lead to little sprouts of grass. And that would be what they would have considered this, this new, this tender, this grass that, the, of course, the sheep would want. There's, there's not much there, but there's just enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Understanding the difference between what we picture of this large fluffy field of green grass versus what probably David, we know, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that David shepherded his flocks in places like this 
We know that he did. And when he's referencing green pastures, he's probably not talking about places that picture, is the picture that we see in our mind where there's just an, an abundance of, of green grass and, and quiet waters. He's probably talking about places that look more like this. That changes the idea that maybe even the theology of what it means when God says, I will lead you to green pastures. Again, if it's a, a green, fluffy, endless supply of grass, it changes it from that to one mouthful of food. A few steps and another mouthful of feud. A few steps and another mouthful of food. But always, always following the shepherd to the next mouthful, to the still water. Because we are in constant, desperate need of the good shepherd. We are in constant, desperate need. Knowing that we have what we need now and trusting that the shepherd will supply us with what we need in the future. And because of that, he restores my soul. I know. I don't know where it's coming from, but I know and I trust my shepherd. He's going to take me where I need to go. This, this idea of restoring your soul, again, it's more than a, a physical sustenance. It's, it's more than a, 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 it's also a mental and spiritual re, uh, reassurance. It's faith in God's provision. Uh, there was a, a rabbi who's, who's quoted as saying this, a Jewish teacher who's quoted as saying this, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. pasture. Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture you can think about it this way worry is dealing with tomorrow's problem on today's time worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems with today's energy worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's strength a much better jewish rabbi our lord and savior jesus said it this way in matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom god's kingdom and his righteousness and all the things you need will be added to you so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself And again, today, some of you can very well relate to this phrase. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, many of us, and certainly many others, want a God that takes us to an abundant green pasture, feel that that we can flop down in and and not move, that we can gorge ourselves on his blessings when Jesus, our shepherd, is trying to get us to move. He's trying to get us to, to move away from this place where, where our, our needs are, are met, but rarely much more. He's trying to get us to move to a promised land that flows with milk and honey. And, and, and when I say that, again, we say, yeah, that's where I want to be. I want to be in a promised land that flows with milk and honey. I want God to, to rain his blessings down upon me. And we all want that. The problem is sometimes I think that we, that I, maybe you, get caught up in the idea that's going to happen here now today or even here on earth when the promised land is not a place where we will probably visit in our lifetime the promised land is ultimately a place that wherever god is that's what it is heaven the promised land the existence that is offered to us after this life that's where jesus is getting us to go he's driving us he's he's shepherding us he's guiding us to these places And he wants us to go there. So how do we get there? 
The verse goes on in Hebrews, or sorry, in Psalm 23. Uh, he, our shepherd, Jesus, guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, seeking his kingdom, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness provides us with our needs, but sometimes these paths lead to the valley of the shadow of death. Again, I think that I know that some people have. Whether, whether by, by choice, not, not listening to what others would teach them, or because of, of perhaps even bad teaching, uh, some people think that the Christian life is, a, is an easy life. And it's anything but an easy life. It's the best life that you can live. I'm confident in that. But it's not an easy life. It's not the life that, that people who, who want to take the easy way choose. The easy path is just to go along with what the world says and what the world does. But the Christian life is countercultural to that. It's different than that. So guiding us in paths of righteousness means sometimes that will lead us to difficulty, even the valley of the shadow of death. But the psalmist says, David says, we can say as Christians, even when we're there, I will fear no evil for you're with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There are enemies that come along in our lives, and let's think about just three of them briefly this morning. Enemies of doubt, enemies of confrontation, and enemies of confusion. How does God, how does our shepherd get us through those things? Enemies of doubt. In Psalm 78, it's the psalmist recording uh, of the wilderness wandering, and and you can probably remember back to that. You think about the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Uh, The Israelites had been taken out of Egypt. They'd even made it all the way to the promised land, but because of their, their faith, or their lack of faith, they have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and they don't have food. They, they didn't bring any of the provisions that they really needed, certainly not for 40 years worth of, of wilderness wandering. And, and God provides to them. He provides water to them. But then it says in Psalm 78, verses 19 and 20, uh, then they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? And here's, here's the, the picture that he, he has already in, in, in their, in their confusion, in their doubt, in their arrogance. I don't know what led them to it, but they say, Hey, listen, we know God through Moses struck the rock and we got some water and that was a miraculous thing. But can he give us bread also? Will he give us meat as well? Wouldn't you think in your life, if you were there, if Moses is able to hit a rock and, and water gushes out of it and you have all the water that you need, wouldn't you think that you would have the faith to say, God, hey, we also need this. Will you please provide it? I, I would think that we would do that, but maybe we wouldn't if we were really in that situation. And they certainly didn't. They say, listen, I know that he performed this great miracle. And by the way, they'd also seen the Red Sea parted. They'd also seen the 10 plagues. They'd seen all kinds of amazing things God has done. But they say, can he give us bread? Can he give us meat? And of course, God gives us those things. Sometimes we have the enemy of doubt in our lives. Even though we can look back to our own lives and say, God got me through this situation and God blessed me in this way. And right now I'm in a dry and weary land. Can God do it again? Yes, God can. God will. God wants to. And it may not be in abundance, but it may just be exactly what you need. And you follow him a few more steps and you get exactly what you need. And you follow him a few more steps and you get exactly what you need. There's also enemies of confrontation. Times when, when enemies come to, to harm us, 
And it says the, the rod and the staff, and especially the rod is something that shepherds would use uh, to protect their animals. You'll think back to, again, when David is before uh, King Saul and he's talking about uh, fighting Goliath. And, and King Saul says, hey, you're just a youth. You, there's no way you can, atta- you can fight this guy. There, there's no way you can do that. And David says, hey, King, I've, I've killed a lion and a bear already. I'll, I'll kill the Philistine too. No problem. And we think, I mean, I don't know the last time you guys fought a bear. It's been a while for me. Uh, lion, you know. It seems pretty impressive, doesn't it? David was willing to lay his life on the line for his sheep. That's what Jesus said he would do, wouldn't it? I'll, I'll lay down my life for my sheep. And he has the power, he has the weapons, he has the tools to do those things. But sometimes, again, we're fearful because we don't have the power, we don't have the tools, we don't have the ability. And again, we don't have those things, but our shepherd does, and we have to learn to rely upon him. He's there for us. He's there for us before, during, and after all of these confrontations that we might have, and we need to make sure that we continue to rely upon him. His rod is with us, so we don't have to fear that evil. And then we also have the enemy of confusion. And remember the, the crook of the, uh, the shepherd's staff. You'll remember that's the, that's the thing we all know about the shepherd, right? He's, he's got the, uh, the staff that has the, the loop on the end of it. And he used that practically to pull sheep back. When they were going in the wrong place, when they weren't, you know, listening to the shepherd's guidance and they were uh, going the wrong direction, they would use the crook of the, 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 uh, the shepherd's staff to, to pull the sheep back away from danger. And we, we do that too. And, and we need to recognize it. Again, something that we, something that we know, I think as Christians, certainly, if you're, if you're a Christian this morning, you, you know this, but just be reminded of the simple truth of Jesus' words in John fourteen six: I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. We've got to follow Jesus. It goes back to the question that we'll we'll ask again in a minute, but is the Lord your shepherd? Let's finish up the passage in Psalm 23. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. David has no doubt that if sheep will follow the shepherd, Blessings will come. Maybe again, not the blessings that we think about, the the abundant green grass, but just what we need and exactly what we need. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me in this life. These are things that as I seek God, he'll provide me with the things that I need. That's Matthew 6, 33. And then Matthew 5, 14 through 16 is also the idea that these things not only follow me, but they follow in my wake. And when people see me and they see the blessings that God has given to me and they see how I respond to him by following him, that they're drawn to that too. If you were a hungry sheep and there was a shepherd that came by and offered you green grass and quiet waters and safety and peace, if you were a sentient being as that sheep, you would want to do that. Well, that's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news of Christ, that we're lost and that we don't have anything that we need and he offers us salvation and exactly what we need. And finally, it says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a promised land. The Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews tells us that there, there is, there still remains a rest for God's people. And that rest is not here on this earth. That rest is with God eternally. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I know today, I know today in this room, in our fellowship, in our family, there are people who are struggling with sickness and sadness and difficulty and loss and any number of things, whether that's physical or mental or emotional or spiritual. 
Aren't you glad that one day it'll be, just, it'll be more than just one mouthful at a time? Over will be the daily struggle to remain faithful. The difficulties of this physical life, the emotional difficulties, the mental difficulties, the financial difficulties, all of those things will pass away and we'll be blessed to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He has anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christians, that is our promise from God, that if we will follow him, if we will allow him to be our shepherd, he will lead us to where we need to go. This morning, the question is, for all of us, is the Lord your shepherd? The Lord is not your shepherd because you say that he is. The Lord is not your shepherd because you are a sheep and you don't know where you're going. The Lord is not your shepherd because you need him to be. The Lord will be your shepherd if you follow him. That's what sheep do. If they survive, they want to follow the sheep. This morning, Christians, are you following the shepherd? Are you following the one who will lead you to the right place? We do that with our actions. We do that with our thoughts. We do that ultimately simply with our trust in him that he will provide us with the things that we need and our total, absolute reliance upon him. This morning, if you're not a Christian and you have the opportunity to be so, um, here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song and we're going to stand and sing that song and we're going to ha- offer the invitation. And the invitation is not something that I'm not inviting you. God is inviting you to be a part of his family, to be a part of his flock, to be a part of his kingdom, to have your sins washed away, and to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, What you can do if you're interested in that is you would come down and sit in one of these front pews. I'll be up here. You can talk to me and let me know what you need, and I'll be happy to help you however I can. If you want to be a Christian today, we here at Jefferson Avenue, we teach that Christians become Christians the way the Bible says people become Christians. You read about it in the book of Acts in the New Testament that everyone who became a Christian did these things. They had put, put their belief and their trust in the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ. You read that in Mark chapter 16 verses 15 and 16. They decided that they would follow Jesus. They turned away from everything else, repented, and decided that they would follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily every single day and follow after me. We as Christians don't do that perfectly We're very bad at it, as a matter of fact, sometimes. But we try to do that faithfully. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to say, and you've got to decide, you've got to make up your mind to follow Jesus. We confess that Jesus is our Lord, that he is our Savior, and he is the one who is going to shepherd our lives. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And then we're baptized into Christ. We're identified as a part of his body, a part of his flock, a part of his family. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Acts chapter 22, and verse 16. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't done those things, let me say this kindly but clearly. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, repented of anything that is not of him, and turned towards him to follow him, 
named him as your Lord, not just with your mouth, but with your mind, you've determined that you're going to follow Jesus. And if you haven't submitted to baptism where you come in contact with the blood of Christ and that sin that you have in your life and all future sin is washed away, if you haven't done those things according to the Bible, then according to the Bible, you're not a follower of Jesus. I would simply encourage you, follow Jesus the way that he has told us to follow him. Christians, I would simply encourage you, follow Jesus the way that he has told us to follow him with everything that you are. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And know that these people in this room are here for you to help you do that. So if you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, there's nothing better we could do today than help you become a Christian. If you are a Christian and you found yourself like that lost sheep wandered away from the shepherd, there's nothing better that we could do today than to help you come back to your shepherd. If there's anything we can help you do this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.